morning, New Community Church. How are y'all? Good. You are awake and ready this morning. I love it. My name is Sarah. I'm one of the pastors here at NCC. So excited that you're worshiping with us and just want to send a special greeting to everyone worshiping with us online this morning. Um, I'm excited this morning as I get to share something special with you from my heart. So um, just so you know, a little bit of context. So I'm a pastor here. I'm a volunteer pastor. There are a few of us that serve as volunteer pastors here, which means uh, we work another full-time or part-time job outside of the church, and we serve here at the church. And so um, as I come to you, it's such an honor every time I get to share from this platform um, because it's an honor that they trust me. (laughs) They trust me to be up here and to bring God's word to you. And this is a special message because it's, it's something I got to choose. And so I've been praying for this for a couple of months, and I kept coming back to this topic and going, no, Jesus, I don't think it's that. <laughs> I'd rather do this. I'm a very traditional girl. I like to, like, go to a section of Scripture and, like, dig real deep into it and bring something uh, straight out of that. And this morning is topical, and that's unusual for me. And so uh, this morning, though, I couldn't, I have to promise you, I couldn't shake it. So I know for sure that whatever the Holy Spirit has to share this morning, y'all are meant to hear it. All right, so will you take a moment before we dig into this, will you just pray with me? And if you could just kind of open your hands to the Lord and just ask him this morning to just speak to you. Jesus, thank you for your word and thank you for being who you are. You are active in our lives. You are not passive. And so you have something to share with us this morning. And you speak in your word about having ears to hear. Open our hearts and open our ears to hear what you have to say specifically to us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help us to to see you more clearly. And then, of course, to see ourselves more clearly in that light. Lord, challenge us and change us into your image that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this morning I'm going to share about church myths. Church myths. Do any of you like the show Mythbusters? Uh, Our family loves that show. So one of my kids said, it should be uh, Church Mythbusters. Well, we're not going to steal their logo and get into some trademark deal here. But we're going to talk about church myths. And so I thought, how fun to start out with a sort of truth or a lie, all right? There are a lot of things that we believe about church or about Christianity or about the Bible that honestly aren't true. They're not found in Scripture, and Scripture shapes our lives. It's our ultimate authority. And so this morning, I'm going to throw out a couple things, and no shame. You might get some wrong. That's okay. That's how we learn. I'm an educator at heart, okay? So the first thing this morning, truth or lie, Eve ate an apple in the Garden of Eden, It's a lie, right? She ate a fruit, but we don't know which fruit it was. Aaron says traditionally uh, Hebrew theologians believe it was a fig. I read in places they think it was an almond. We don't know, but it wasn't an apple, but that's often what you hear, right? How about this one? Three wise men brought gifts to Jesus. Truth or lie? It's actually a lie. We don't know how many wise men brought gifts to Jesus. We just know there were three gifts. This is a big one for Aaron, so if you come to my house at Christmas time, there are more than three wise men in each of our nativity sets because Aaron's real passionate about people knowing. We don't know there were three, y'all. We don't know that there were three. How about this? A whale swallowed Jonah. We don't know if it was a whale. It's a lie. We, it says a fish. Um, some theologians believe it was some kind of large shark or large fish, but we don't know if it was a whale. Ooh, this is a good one. I know John likes this one. Money is the root of all evil, true or false? It's false. This is taken from 1 Timothy 6.10, which says, the love of money is the root of 
all kinds of evil, not all evil, okay, and not money, but the love of money. Now, parents, you can just plug your kids' ears for a second on this one. How about this in the scripture? Cleanliness is next to godliness. It's actually not in there. I mean, I think it's probably considered true. I would say that's like extra biblical, like it's aligned with scripture, even though it's not in there. But cleanliness is next to godliness is actually not found in the Bible, okay? So these are all things that don't necessarily hinder our faith, right? But there are things that we believe about the church or about scripture that do hinder our faith. They hurt us. They keep us from growing and from recognizing the truth. And so we're going to just conquer a few of these this morning. Now, before I jump in really deep, because some of these are going to hit close to home, I want you to know a little bit about myself. If I haven't gotten to meet you, if you don't know a lot about my story, I grew up for about the first half of my childhood in church, not just every day. My house was attached to the church, you guys. I was in the church all the time. My parents didn't know, but sometimes we'd sneak over there and play hide and seek. Um, my dad was a pastor, and we lived in the parsonage literally attached to the church. And so until I, about the age of 12, I was in church all the time. And then my dad left the ministry. My, my family had a pretty tumultuous sort of breakup with the church, and we didn't, we didn't go to church anymore. So beginning in about seventh grade of my life, I didn't attend church. And so I grew up with this very traditional religious view of the scriptures and of attending church. And then I kind of started trying to figure everything out on my own as a teenager and into young adulthood. And so when I'm coming to you with these things, these are things I believed that I have struggled with, that I to this day still struggle with in a lot of ways. And so as you hear this morning as I share, this is not condemnation coming at you. This is my own conviction that I feel challenged with. So the first myth, we're going to conquer five this morning. The first one is this, going to church makes me a good person. Going to church makes me a good person. Now, even if you would say, oh, no, no, I, I know that's not necessarily true. Some of us still live this way. Like, going to church makes me a better person than the person down the street who never goes to church. But that's not true because there are no good people. Sorry. Scripture is pretty clear about this. If you look in Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 23, it says this, For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. Thank you, Jesus. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. So can we boast then that we've done anything to be accepted by God? No, we can't because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. Okay, there is nothing we can do to be a good person. Nothing we can do to be a better person. Going to church doesn't make me a good person. Just like going to the gym every day does not make me an Olympic runner, okay? Have you all been watching the Olympics? Our family loves the Olympics, okay? And I love to run, and one of my kids, I think it was Sophie, was like, this makes me want to do something. Like, you know, it does. When you watch it, you're like, I think I could do that. Like, I think I could hop in the pool and figure out just about how to get that fast. But we all know the truth, right? No matter how many times we show up to the gym, all of us aren't meant to be an elite runner or an elite swimmer, okay? And I love to run, but no matter how much I train, I am not going to be an elite runner. It's just not in the cards for me. I'm not made that way. I'm not built that way, okay? And that's okay, right? It's okay. We know that not all of us are designed to be Olympians. It's one of the things that we love about watching the Olympics, but 
being a part of the church also does not make me a good person. Actually, it reminds me how broken and messed up I am. That's what coming to church actually does. It reminds me that I do not have it all together. Okay, it's not in the cards for any of us to be good people. Our mistake is assuming if we stay here long enough, if we come here often enough, if we serve enough, if we give enough, somehow we'll become a better person. But that is not true. It's not scriptural, and it's certainly not what Jesus taught. We don't become better over time. We become more dependent on God's grace, more dependent on God's grace. It's one of the reasons you will hear over and over people who, standing on, who stand on this platform in this church sharing our own weaknesses and our own struggles because there's this assumption that somehow pastors or people in leadership don't struggle the same way everybody else does. Myth, y'all. We all face the same struggles, and Jesus faced them too. We are not designed to just be good people. We are all broken, broken people. And following Jesus is not a self-help strategy. Being a Christian is not about adding Jesus and the church and the Bible to our lives, and somehow it's going to equal out on the other side of all the bad things that we've done. That's not what this looks like. It's about wiping the slate completely clean and surrendering everything that we have to him because we know that nothing we could ever do could make us good. Good. It's a myth. There are not good people and bad people. We are all broken. Galatians 2.21 says, I don't treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. So either you think God is a terrible father who sent his son to die a brutal death for fun, or it was the only way, the only way for us to have a relationship with him is depending upon what he has done, not on what we do. We don't come to church to make us good. We come to church to remind us we need him. We need him pretty desperately, more and more every day. The goal of following Jesus is not to make us good, it's to help us depend on him more. So, you know, I'm a practical girl. I'm going to give you a response to each one of these myths. And I'm just encouraging you right now, as a pastor, as a fellow believer, take this to heart, and if something hits home with you, stop today and respond. Here's one for this. Stop and ask yourself, what have you been doing to earn points with God? What are things you've been doing in your mind to try to earn points, get that trophy from Jesus? Hey, Lord, look at what I'm doing so well. I've been reading my Bible every single day. Look at me, Jesus. You see how I let that guy in on the highway when nobody else was letting him in? Like, what are the things that you're doing to earn points with God? Call that out. And recognize, Lord, I, I recognize over and over again, there is nothing I can do to make me good. Myth number two, I can love Jesus and hate the church. I can love Jesus and hate the church. I've heard this a lot of times in my life. Oh, I like Jesus all right. I just don't like his people. Oh, come on now. Loving Jesus means loving his bride. And he over and over calls the church his bride. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is exhorting the church, telling them how to love. And what does he use as an example? Husbands. This means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Loving Jesus and mistreating the church is like abusing your best friend's wife. Who's going to let you do that? If he does, he doesn't love his wife. Okay? We, and we come to Jesus. We love him. We love his church. In Matthew chapter 22, it says, Jesus replied, 
You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandments. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. I love the guy who after this is like, okay, well then who's my neighbor? Like we're looking for an out. Do I only have to love the people who are nice to me? No. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love people. Jesus sums up entire books of the Bible in these two laws. Love God and love people. And he says they're of equal importance. So important that when Jesus is preparing to die, he looks at his disciples in John 13 and he says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Have we forgotten how to love each other? I'm not just talking about being nice on social media or being kind to the guy at work. I'm talking about our relationship with one another, the believers that we call our community of faith. Look around. Go ahead, look around. Look around at this church. Have you shown love to this group of people? When somebody is missing, do you check on them or even know their name? When someone is sick or hurt, do you bring them a meal? This is love. This is how we show who we belong to, to a watching world. We love one another, and we've forgotten. Loving Jesus means loving his bride. And let's just take this out of the picture. There are no perfect churches. I love one pastor has this quote, stop looking for the perfect church. It doesn't exist. And even if it did exist, the moment you joined it, it would no longer be perfect. <laughs> right? Because I'm imperfect. And the moment I enter myself into the equation, there's no perfection involved anymore, right? This isn't about our comfort. It's about our commitment to one another. We have forgotten how to love we have gotten so caught up in our platforms and our preferences that we don't even know the people that we call our community of faith. Jesus, help us, Lord. God has called his church to love. Here's our response. Ask God to reveal any bitterness or unforgiveness you've been holding against other Christians. And let me just take a moment and say, this might be from a long time ago. It might be from an older church. This might be from when you were a kid or a teenager. It might be somebody who's sitting in this room right now. Where are you holding something against the fellow believers that you call your community of faith? And how can you move through that? Myth number three, Sundays don't matter as long as I'm living a good life. Sundays don't matter as long as I'm living a good life. Not true. Gathering grows us, you guys. Gathering grows us. Hebrews chapter 10, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Gathering grows us together. A theologian says this about this, this section of scripture. He says, the communion of saints is a great help and a privilege, a good means of steadiness and perseverance. We learn to truly love, we learn to truly grow when we gather 
together. We need each other. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, Gentiles, slaves, free, but we have all been baptized into one body, one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one. If the foot says, well, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, well, that doesn't make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, well, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? How would our bodies work if they were disconnected from one another? Think about that practically, okay? Because I'm a nerd, and you guys know I'm a nerd, okay? I went a little bit into biology here. Neurologists say that our brains have at least, at least, 200 billion neurons with 100 trillion connections that each neuron is linked to others through hundreds of trillions of tiny contacts called synapses. And these connections are what make our bodies function. It's what make your heart beat and your lungs breathe and your hand move. Now consider what happens when those become disconnected. We can't walk. We can't talk. People who have neurological disease understand this really well. My mom was recently diagnosed with a disease that's really rare and basically means that all those little neurons and synapses just start dying and she didn't even notice that her feet and her hands had started going numb until they started misfunctioning. So this is what happens. Now consider what that means for us as the body of Christ. If we have a disconnected foot, a disconnected hand, people are like, it's okay, I'm going to sleep in this Sunday. I'm not really going to make a big difference there anyway. Nobody's going to notice that I'm there. We're not fully functioning as God called us to function. I experienced this Myself as a teen, I shared with you earlier that whenever I was younger, I had gotten used to going to church and then we stopped going. And as a teenager, I still felt this nearness to God, and I'm so grateful for it, that no matter what I was doing or how I was living, I knew he was with me, and I knew he still wanted me. And so I was trying to figure out what it looked like for me to be in a relationship with God without the church, because I didn't think I belonged in church. The way I was raised, I thought you had to wear a dress if you were a girl to go to church. You had to wear pantyhose. You had to have the right shoes. And I didn't have any of that. Um, my family was struggling financially. I bought most of my own clothing. And I, I just couldn't afford it. And so I didn't go to church because I didn't have the right clothes. And so then when I became a, a young adult, God called me down here to Texas to go to Bible school. And I will never forget my first night on campus I stood in this sanctuary with like hundreds of other people and the singing and my, I'm just drenched in tears, like cannot stop crying because I hadn't been a part of a body of believers in so long. I didn't know where I fit. I didn't know where I belong. But when I stood in that place, I was like, this is it. This is where I'm supposed to be. Have you guys felt that? Have you, I hope you've experienced that here at NCC. You being here on Sundays, it matters. It matters. You might be the person that reaches out to somebody who's struggling and makes a difference in their life. Somebody might come in on a Sunday morning and they might be ready to end their life and you're the one who says a prayer or speaks a word over them and it changes everything. You never know what God is doing. But when we each play our part, Sundays matter. Here's our response. Commit to engage in Sunday services in your local church. Now, I want to address people worshiping online because I know right now with COVID, 
there has been more church hopping than has ever existed in the history of the church. And, and I want to welcome anyone who's worshiping with us online, but I want to challenge you, get committed. Get committed to a church body. Don't just hop in and out of online services, like I'm going to hear the message here and the worship there, and I'm going to kind of be a little sprinkling everywhere. Commit to a local church on Sundays. It matters. Fourth, church myth. Pastors do ministry. Pastors do ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11, says this. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. I'm going to read that again, and I encourage you to highlight it. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then... We will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. All those YouTube videos flying around on your Facebook profile. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work it helps the other parts grow so the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now, don't you want to be part of that church? I want to be part of that church. The role of church leadership is not to do the ministry. It is to equip Christ's followers to build God's kingdom on earth. That is the job of church leadership. Now, I'm going to get passionate about this because I've been in this a really long time. The amount of time over the last 20-some years that I've been in pastoral ministry, if I had a dollar every time I heard, you know, the church should really, hey, pastor so-and-so should really start this ministry called, guess what? If God's given you the idea, he's probably telling you to do it. It's real easy to bring ideas to somebody else and hold them accountable to make it happen, but God has called his church to build his kingdom. Not somebody who stands on the platform, not just me, not just Pastor Aaron, not just the other pastors. All of us are called to build his kingdom on earth. It's what we've been talking about in this last series. The work that we do, it matters. It matters Monday through Friday, whether you call it ministry or not. If you follow Jesus, you are called to build his kingdom. He has given you gifts and talents that only you have in that specific blend. And when you do those things, it has an eternal value that you cannot even see now. We each play this important part. Consider the story of Nehemiah. If you're not familiar with this, I encourage you to go back and read that book of the Bible and check it out short. Nehemiah, he's with his people in this foreign land, and he hears a need. He hears that the wall has been torn down in Jerusalem, and his heart breaks. And it says he weeps, and he prays, and guess what he does next? He acts. He does something. He creates a plan. He starts moving, and he makes something happen. What if we took all the time that we spend on social media ranting about the issues and injustice, and we actually took action against the issues and injustice that we see? What would our world look like? What would our communities look like? I'm going to get a little old school here. I'm going to give you some uh, alliteration. 
our tradition, our old school pastors, we grew up this, this way. What if we prayed instead of posting? What if we served instead of surfing? What if we loved people more than we loved our platform? What would happen if we took to heart what God is putting on our hearts and we actually did something about it rather than talking about it? We are so busy building our little Lego castles. Every day we're like, God, look what I'm doing. Look at this pretty little thing that I'm building for you. When I think God has something more like this in mind, this right here, this is the largest Minecraft Lego diorama. It holds a world record. It measures 184 square feet, built over four days by over 100 people. We're building our little castles when God's like, look what you can do together. Look what you can do if you just take your part in my body and see what kind of kingdom we could actually build on earth. It's going to last. It's going to last. Serving isn't something we do when we have time. Servants are who we are called to be. We are called to serve. Pastors are not called to do ministry. We are all called to do ministry. So here's our response. Ask God, what has he called you to do? What mission has he given you here on earth? He created you with a purpose. And let me just break this down, okay? Again, I work a full-time job, and I 100% believe, believe it's my ministry. I don't work for the church, but I have a ministry. It's the same for all of you. No matter what your day-to-day -day life looks like, God has given you a mission to fulfill, and all the gifts and talents you need to fulfill it. You play an important part in building his kingdom on earth. Last myth. I go to church to get something. I hope that the rest of my life I never hear the phrase, I stopped going to church because I didn't get fed ever again. Hopefully, there are no babies, spiritual babies that stay spiritual babies for very long. We don't go to church to get fed, to get great worship. Okay? We don't go to church to just gain from other people. That right there is called a consumer mindset. It's how we approach McDonald's, how we approach our shopping centers that we go to, right? And here's the thing. The consumer is actually, and hopefully some of you students, this is going to start ringing some bells because school's starting soon. The consumer is actually a role in the food chain. It is a biological being that consumes something from another biological being, okay? That is what consumers are. And this is fine when we think of food, not fine when we think of faith, we're not designed to be consumers in our faith, in our relationships. Some of us are as faithful to church as we are to our favorite restaurant. We keep coming as long as they give us what we want. And then when we don't like it anymore, we just move somewhere else. We've forgotten how to be faithful. We've forgotten how to be faithful. Recently, I was having a conversation with someone, and she came to me for help. And as I started listening to her, and providing some feedback, I realized, oh, she doesn't want help. She doesn't want a solution. She just wants to rant and complain. Have you ever had those conversations? Yeah. You're like, okay, yeah, it doesn't matter what I say right now. She just wants to output. She doesn't want to input. How frustrating is that? And yet that's how we come to church so much. Like, oh, my week was so bad. I can't wait to see what they give me as a solution, you know. It's not how we're designed, you guys. Hopefully you've already got that from all the scriptures we've already read. But here's, here's what's important. Here's what I want to stand out. I love behavioral psychology. I find it fascinating how our brains are wired and how 
sometimes what we do, we think we're in control, but actually we're on autopilot. So when something is off in our lives, this is scientifically proven through psychology, that when something's off, our minds construct a story to fill the gap, okay? When we don't understand something, the gap between what we expected to happen and what happened. You get this when you're like, somebody cut you off in traffic, you're like, that jerk, you know, just wants to get to work before everybody else. Now, they could be headed to the ER, right? Like, they could be in pain. There are so many reasons they could have cut you off in traffic. You could be right, but your brain tells you a story, right? It fills in the gap. And here's the problem. The more that you rehearse that story within your own head or to other people, the more true it becomes. You believe it. We, we feed these pathways in our brains that tell ourselves these stories over and over. And so when I come to Jesus... And I'm looking for him to just echo back the story I've already told myself. I want him to confirm what I already think or what I want to be true. I'm just going to see what I want, and I'm going to disregard the rest. So we come to Jesus, and we're like, yeah, this is all great. It adds up with what I already thought. No real change happening yet, right? But over time, eventually, at some point, it's going to break down. And I'm going to feel really disillusioned and discouraged because all of a sudden, things are not adding up to the story I told myself in my life. They don't fill that gap, and I'm going to move on. But if I come to Jesus when I'm at my end, when I don't have a story that explains anything anymore, when I can't figure everything out, when I'm willing to just lay it all on the line, if I come and I say, Jesus, I can't figure this out. I need you to completely wipe this slate clean. No human explanation, willing to lay it all down. That's where we find freedom. That's where salvation is. Not in making Jesus add up to my story, but in me changing my story to add up to his truth. This is the difference between having a consumer mindset when we approach church and our faith. Here's the challenge. Not that we do that once, because a lot of us have done that once, but we have to stay there. We have to stay and live in this space of humility, of recognizing I don't have all the answers and I don't have it together. We have to stay in this place of teachability and recognizing that, man, Lord, everything I have is from you. A consumer mindset says, give me something. Christ-like mindset says, I give you everything. I give you everything. And every time I come into this place and every time I worship and every time I pray and every time I engage, I'm giving it back to you again. I'm giving it back to you again. I'm giving it back to you again. It's not about getting. Some of us treat Jesus like he's a McDonald's drive through I'm going to place my order, God, and I want it to come out the other side just like I asked for. That is not how this works. And guess what? What you get on the other side is not going to be what you really need anyway. We have to surrender. We have to lay it all down. Do you want to survive? Okay, or do you want to surrender? Those are your choices. Surrender. And here's the irony. Matthew chapter 10 says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. When we surrender, we find what we've been looking for the whole time. It's not about getting. It is about giving it all up. Romans chapter 4 says this. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they've earned. People are counted as righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. This is not an exchange of goods. I don't come to Jesus with my life, and then somehow it equals out on the other side. I, have, I don't have enough to give worthy of what he's given for me. I just have to give it all up, and I have to trust him 
with everything. That's faith. That is faith. Here's your response. Ask God to check your heart. What are you clinging to? What are you holding on to so tightly? You're like, God, it has to turn out this way, or I don't know what I'm going to do. How can you live in surrender day after day? And here's the risk. Quite honestly, the risk for believers, the, ri- the risk for people who trust Jesus with their lives, it's not just that you're not going to get to heaven. It's that you're going to get to heaven and realize it was all about him the whole time. And you made it all about yourself while you were here on earth. If we continue to live according to these myths that are simple and that make us feel better on the inside occasionally, a self-centered faith, it completely misses the point. Jesus didn't live to get, he lived to give, and he's called his church to live the same way. And there is a watching world that is looking at the church saying, what do you really care about? What is this faith thing really about? That's the risk. We get to heaven and we realize, man, everything we spent our lives on, everything we spent that God invested in us, we spent on just piling up enough for ourselves. God help us, Lord. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're hearing this message this morning and you have not, you know in your heart, you have not surrendered to Jesus. And I don't care if you've been going to church for 10 years or 10 minutes. If you know that in your heart, this morning is your time to surrender your life to Jesus, to lay it all down on the line and take a chance on him. The second part of that Romans verse that I read earlier says, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. What joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. God loves you so much. And he has this big dream for your life if you will surrender the little kingdom that you've been building. And so if that is you this morning, whether you're online, whether you're alone, whether you're in this room together this morning, we're going to pray this prayer. Just repeat after me from your heart. Jesus, I come to you and I lay it all down. I know I've made a mess. I know I've lived my own way. I have not been following you, not with my whole heart. And so this morning I surrender all my wants, all my desires, all my dreams, all my plans. I lay them down at your feet. I am yours. Have your way with me. Teach me to live your way. And I will follow wherever you lead me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you put your hands together? Listen, if you prayed that this morning, the Bible says heaven rejoices with you because you are new inside. The old is gone and the new has come and you're living a new life. And Like we've shared this morning, you are not meant to do that alone. We have people, we have a team who wants to walk alongside of you, giving you resources, helping you to live this thing out. And so you can let us know that you're looking for those resources and we will connect with you. But for everyone in this room, again, I want to, I just want to encourage us. Can we take a moment? Can you pray from your heart 
Whatever it is that God spoke to you about this morning, humble yourself before him this morning. Don't leave this place without talking to him about whatever it is that he's challenging you with. I'm going to pray with you, but pray in your own words. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for challenging us, for not leaving us as we are, but for continuous, continuing to bring us back to, to you, to chase us down, Lord, even when it makes us uncomfortable, even when it goes against, Lord, these things that seem easier and simpler for us, Lord. You chase us with the truth because you love us in a love that is beyond our comprehension beyond what we can understand and so God you are worthy of our lives you're worthy of our gifts you're worthy of our time and we want to align our lives with you God not asking you to try to adapt to what we want or what we see or what we think God we give it all to you Lord God I pray forgive us Lord as your church forgive us for not demonstrating your love and unity your faithfulness and your compassion. Forgive us, Lord, for showing the world a different side and challenge us deep in our hearts to live this out the way you've called us to, to be your bride that reflects your characteristics, your love, your compassion, and your care. Challenge us to set aside our comfort, Lord, for all that you've called us to be. Lord, we, we love you. We trust you. We put our faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.